0: When we don't get what we deserve, that's a real good thing. When we get what we don't deserve, that's also a real good thing. These are good definitions of mercy and grace. When we don't get what we deserve, that's mercy. When we get what we don't deserve, that's grace. Several years ago, it's actually been many, many years ago now. In fact, we were listening to some of this music. If you stick around on Saturday nights, like way past, like when most everyone's gone, sometimes it really gets going. And we had a dance party in here listening to old 80s Christian music uh, Saturday night uh, when we were cleaning up. And, uh, And we were listening to, one of the bands we were listening to was a band called Newsboys. And back in that time, they had a song called Real Real Good Thing. And the lyrics of that song were these. When we don't get what we deserve, that's a real good thing, real good thing. When we get what we don't deserve, that's a real good thing. Born to sin and then get caught, all our good deeds don't mean squat. Sell the Volvo, shred the Visa, send the cash to Ma Teresa. Great idea. The only catch is you don't get saved on merit badges. Doctors coming, looking grim. Do you have a favorite hymn? Check your balance through the years. All a cricket here on the mercy seat. And uh, yeah, go back and listen to some of that stuff. The song tries to communicate the idea of God's grace that it is a free gift of God. The grace of God is what saves us. We're saved by grace. In our text tonight, we're looking at Romans chapter three. What benefit is there to the Jew for being a Jew or for perhaps even the Christian being brought up in a Christian home? What benefit is there to a Jewish heritage or a godly heritage? Secondly, Paul addresses certain hang-ups that people might have in receiving the grace of God. The, the idea that we're going to look at is where people would challenge God in his justice, that he is not just because of our, even our own unfaithfulness, which is kind of a crazy thought, but it's kind of a thought that people will advance and throw up in God's face. And then thirdly, Paul establishes the fact that everyone is in sin, that we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And then lastly, Paul tells us that we can only be justified through faith in Jesus Christ and that it is by grace. So if you're taking notes tonight, I've got a couple about four points. And the first one is this: a heritage is helpful a heritage is helpful let's pick it up in romans 3 let's read it in in verse 1 it says this what advantage then has the jew or what is the profit of circumcision much in every way chiefly because them were committed the oracles of god a heritage is helpful paul asked the question What advantage does the Jew have? If you, just to go back to our last study last week, and maybe just as a refresher, he spent a lot of time, was to no avail, and the Jewish heritage was to no avail if it wasn't something that was truly a matter of the heart. And he ended the whole, and it talks about, it just really kind of drove home this idea that that our faith in God hearts, that we do have a heart for the Lord, that we do believe in Him. But then it kind of begs the question, what value is there in, in having been a Jew or having been circumcised? And Paul answers the question, I like it because he asks the question, they're like, he's writing a letter. It's kind of, you know, those like rhetorical questions. Like, I'm going to ask this question, but here you go. I'm going to answer it. Mm-hmm. And he says, much in every way. In, in other words, great. There there, there are great things, uh, advantages that the Jews had. He says, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, we don't go around speaking about you know, that's not a phrase that you often talk about, but the oracles of God, what are they? They're the, they're the, they're the words of God. The, the Jews were entrusted with the words of God. They were entrusted with the law of God, the promises of God, if you want to even put it that way, because in the law were all the promises. And when when God selected Abraham and called him out of Ur the Chaldees, what did he say? He, said he, he made a promise with Abraham. He made a promise that would go, that would affect every family in, in the earth. And, and so, uh, so th- there was great advantage of, of being a Jew because they had received all these things. They had received the, the law of God. They knew what God required, and they knew that God loved them and that he would redeem them. Them. And so this is where a heritage is helpful. Uh, it's, and in that sense, I think a godly heritage is a form or a shade of the grace of God. I certainly can attest to that because I received a godly heritage. I grew up in a Christian home, and perhaps you did too. Day of Light, it's a it's a shade of the grace in the, in the palette of the colors, the multifaceted grace of God. And, and uh, you think of all the, comp- the colors of the spectrum. You th- the, 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 I don't know, these computers, there's thousands upon thousands of different colors, right? This is just like one little shade of one of the colors mm-hmm. of the grace of God. That, that showers into the into the world is those who have a godly heritage, those who have perhaps a heritage. Paul's talking about the heritage of coming up as a Jew, and I thank God for the, the godly heritage that, that I have. Um, I, I thank God for that. My mom and dad taught me the Word of God. Amen. And. It's important. And parents, that's, it's, it's important for us to realize that this is our time. If you've received a godly heritage, it now becomes your time to give a godly heritage to your kids and maybe perhaps those in your family that you have influence over. So maybe it's your grandkids at this point. Give them a heritage that's grounded in the Word of God and grounded in a real loving relationship with God. I can stand here tonight and tell you that my parents did not give me when they used the term in a way that like I don't I don't like religion. You know what I mean? I think religion, the word, the term has Gotten a bad rap over the years. You know, it's almost like you're afraid to use the word. I'm trying to use it tonight in a positive way, but it, in, in, in a lot of ways, it has a bad rap. Oh, religion, I don't want a religion. I don't want anything to do with religion. And in that sense, in that sense of the word, I can say that my parents didn't give me religion, but they, they showed me Jesus. And if, if we show Jesus to those in our family, You know, if we're always giving people religion, (laughs) you know, they'll look at us and say, oh, yeah, here comes so-and-so, there comes, you know, grandma, or there comes mom, or there comes dad, or there comes uncle, so-and-so, you know, and they're, they're giving it to us. But, you know, if we give people Jesus, and I love to do that. I love to give people Jesus, and I remind people all the time about what Jesus said. And some of the things that maybe, like, you know, when, when, when it's, a, it's a hard topic, bring what Jesus said to bear on those things. And just say, hey, look, this is Jesus. Jesus said this. Jesus, in fact, they, they've done studies. People don't like religion, but they do like Jesus. <laughs> so give them Jesus. And Jesus is what they need, amen? And, and that means that when, they, when you give them Jesus, you don't give them this, you know, soft milk toast Jesus. You know, you give them the Jesus of the Bible. You give them the Jesus that overturned the money changers in in, in in the in the temple. You give them the Jesus that said you must be born again. You give the Jesus that spoke to the woman at the well and told her that she was living in sin, and 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 uh, on and on and on. And you give them Jesus, the one that loved them to the fullest extent that anyone could be loved. And, man, I think if we give people that, we'll give people a godly heritage uh, that will be a benefit, that will be a shade of the grace of God. And certainly, growing up as a Jew should have been, should have been, a benefit. It should have been uh, a help. But people get hung up on all kinds of stuff. And of... (coughs) God wooing back the people and them going off into idolatry and serving other gods and worshiping and, and that. If you read Israel's history, they had 40-some kings, I believe, and eight of them, Lord, of all the kings, eight. Wow. So that was just sending people in the wrong direction and leading them uh, into a ditch really and they were led uh, into idolatry and they were led into harmful hangups so a heritage is helpful hang-ups are harmful let's pick it up verse 3 it says this for what if some did not believe will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect certainly not indeed let God be true and every man a liar as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our righteous, unrighteousness demonstrates the, un, the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say... Let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. People have hang-ups. There are certain things that keep people from believing in God and Christ, and they usually center on a misconception of God. And Paul brings up some of these, in a a way he brings up some of these misconceptions, these hang-ups. Ultimately, the hang-ups are harmful and will get in the way of a person truly understanding the character of God and truly understanding the gospel. Uh, and so so this chapter actually is helpful. This chapter is where Paul actually, and he takes it down. And he says, so what if some do not believe? Will their unbelief nullify God's faithfulness? So in other words, an ex- as a reason why God would not be just in bringing judgment upon people who are away from him, who are not saved, who are not living for God. And it's, 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 it's kind of a, a crazy argument, but it's, it's the argument that has been made. It's been, it was made here. I'm sure it was made before this, and it's been made since, since then. For the last 2,000 years, people have advanced this same argument. And, and 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 people look, you know, people look at God, and they, you know, they say, well, he, He's not just. He's not just in in being this person that you know is going to stand in judgment of us. And if and if He was uh, uh, so such a good God, you know, then, then 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 we would be saved, and He would be loving, and then, and and, he, and we would be saved. And and this is the argument that you see a lot of times. And Paul asked the question, what if some do not believe? Will their unbelief nullify God's faithfulness? First of all, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his faithfulness is intact, irregardless of whatever one human being does, or a thousand, or a million, or a billion, or a trillion. Human beings can do whatever they want. It doesn't nullify anything about the character of God, the goodness of God, and, and his ability to stand as a righteous judge over his creation. God is. Uh, and so Paul, Paul points this out. And so this is, this is the idea that people put forward. Uh, but if our unrighteousness, verse 5, demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say is crazy argument, twisted argument of saying, look, our unrighteousness points out that God is righteous, and therefore, we're not really doing bad, we're doing good for doing bad. (laughs) Because it's pointing out the righteousness of God. And certainly God uh, you know, so so how is it that God can can stand there and say that He's a God of wrath and that there are people that are that stand you know as as objects of wrath. Uh, In theory, there's you know you, you could come up with all kinds of examples of this. The the example in the Bible of a person who could make a, who could make this argument, I think the best person, uh, Judas Iscariot, he might say to the Lord, "Lord, I know that I betrayed you, but you used it for good. In fact, if I hadn't done what I did, Jesus wouldn't, you wouldn't have gone to the cross at all. And so, what I did even fulfilled scriptures." How can you judge me at all? In other words, my unfaithfulness, my unrighteousness brought forth the righteousness of God. So how can you do this? How can you judge me at all? And the answer to Judas might go like this. Yes, God used your wickedness, but it was still your wickedness. There was no good or pure motive in your heart at all. And it is no credit to you that God brought good out of your evil. And so you still stand. The human heart, you know, right from the beginning. I mean, we ba- basically you go back to the, the fall. You go back to the Genesis 3. And, and you see this wanting to kind of weasel out of the responsibility of, for our own actions. Right? And, and nothing has changed. <laughs> the woman, woman blamed the the serpent the Nakash, right? And you know, Satan didn't ha- didn't have anybody else to blame. I mean, he just had to stand there and take it, you know. And and and, uh, and and certainly the curse came down on all of them. And and so it's just in the heart of man to try to try to weasel out of it, try to. Um, make God look somehow at fault for our sin. You know, and I've even read arguments about, you know, God even, you know, uh, you know this idea of God tempting man and, and, and all this. And, and, and God, God, God is perfect in the way he does things. So we've got to realize this. He, he is not um, unloving in that sense. People were saying that Paul was teaching grace, and so much so that look at the last part of that. <laughs> look at that, he says, and why not say, Let us do evil, that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say. And so he's basically, you know, kind of challenging that idea that people are. Um, you know they're twisting what he's saying. He's preaching a gospel of grace. He's preaching that 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 your righteousness can only be the righteousness of Christ. That, that there's nothing in you. There's nothing, um, you know, good in you in that sense, as far as salvation is concerned. But they're they're twisting it, and they're saying well just let's just run up the tally then let's just really you know let's really make the, the 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 faithfulness of the Lord shine by going out and you know kind of doing whatever we want and that's you know there's modern versions of this um you know that you will hear of um if you're if you're if you follow uh hear a new thing coming up just please know this you just just get this in your head and your heart right now there Solomon put it this way in the book of Ecclesiastes. Did you hear so-and-so? And they're awesome, and they got a great... There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. <laughs> These people. So please understand that. Um, so your hang-ups, your incorrect, imperfect view of God is not going to be an excuse uh, as you stand before the Lord. Um you stand hopeless in sin. You stand hopeless in sin. Let's pick it up, verse 9. Paul says, What then? Are we better than they? Not, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is in their lips, whose mouth is full of the cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we have that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, what is this little section about? This little section is about basically, and one commentator put it this way. This is, uh, so Paul basically uh, lists, uh, he basically recalls these various scriptures, uh, he quotations from the Psalms, as that he says, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Mm-hmm. So just in case you don't fully understand what I'm saying, Psalms, let me go back to the record of Isaiah. This is what it says. This is what the prophets said concerning man. The first one, verse 10 there, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one understands. There's no one who seeks God, so it is literally like a spiritual X-ray. So if you're going to put, you're going to put a, a representative human underneath a spiritual X-ray, and we're going to take a look at the problem. Okay, and it literally goes. Uh, he starts off with this idea of understanding. No one, there's none righteous. No one understands. No one seeks. You know, there's, 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 there's not, uh, you know, this, this godly motive at all. They have, they, they, together they have become unprofitable. He, uh, it goes down to their throat. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongue, with their tongues they have practiced uh, deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing. And their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before the rise and so come back in the room and say it's not looking good <laughs> it's not looking good it's not looking good from head to toe and even down to the depths of the consciousness wow. we are sin we are we are under sin We are under sin. We are kind of laid bare. And Paul finishes this section up and he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who were under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You know, this is important because basically the indictment from head to toe is that we're, you know, that we're sinners the, 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 there's all these all these this diagnosis and so you know you, you've you heard people that will say things like uh, you know well well, yeah what, what are you going to do when you stand before God well I'm going to give him a piece of my mind right I'm going to give him my two cents I'm going to give him you know I'm going to give him my comment yeah, I can leave a comment on, 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 on God's Facebook, you know, on his Twitter. I can respond back, at God. You know, boom, boom, boom. Give him a piece of my mind. Paul says that for those under the law that every mouth may be stopped. Wow. Silenced. Silenced. Thank God, one, one day coming soon, all mouths will be stopped. <laughs> all mouths will be stopped. And then pick it up, what Paul says in Philippians, that every tongue will confess <laughs> that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? So every mouth will be stopped trying to make their case, trying to put forth their argument because the, the indictment is so bad from head to toe that the, the, the literally is you're you would be you're better off throwing yourself at the mercy of the court than trying to make a case. And this is kind of where Paul has brought this argument to um, through here. But then, verse 21, he says, But now, but now the righteousness of God. So we might be hopeless in sin, but we have hope in Christ. Let's pick it up, verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and false redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus so paul brings it all the way down and he brings it to this point that that we're hopeless in our sin but there's hope in Jesus and it's the only place that you can have hope But now, right? Paul uses that transition a lot where he'll kind of paint this bleak picture and then he'll say, but. (laughs) You know, he does that in Ephesians. You were alive and you were dead in your trespasses, Christ, right? So he's made this whole case. You've been put under the spiritual x-ray and you have been found guilty under the law. But now. But now, God's righteousness is now revealed. It has been witnessed by the, by the law and the prophets. That is to say that the Messiah was foretold. There, from Genesis 3.15 forward, there are these moments in time where it's pretty explicit, and then there are times when it's not as explicit, but there's this that's going to be perfectly righteous. There's one that's going to come and, 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 and do this great thing. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the anointed one. He's going to liberate people. And it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. And it's Jesus Christ. And so righteous, it's the only way. It's the only way, and so much so that Paul paints the picture that there will be no flesh that will glory in the presence of God. No one will be saved. and and No one will be there and say, well, you know, Jesus saved me, but I had kind of these things going on, you know, too, that I was, you know, pretty decent, you know. It, It will be no flesh glorying in the presence of God. We will all literally, you know, there's that scene in heaven where uh, you know the four and two, the 24 elders are casting their crowns. You know that the band casting crowns, where they got their name from, is this idea where they're, we're casting our crowns before the, before the Lord because we're we we're, we're so in awe of who He is and what He did for us in saving us, and the picture becoming so much more clear. Uh, than we even see it right now, and for those of us who have been walking with the Lord, we still would have to come to the same conclusion that Paul comes to in Corinthians, where he says we see through a glass darkly. Right? I mean, like as clearly as you might even see the gospel right now, you know, we're we're still looking through a glass darkly. Imagine when we're standing there, and 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 and, and it's just the incredible uh, scene is before us the clarity that we're going to have in the gospel and and what he did for us. Paul goes on and he says that the righteousness is, you know, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. It's that simple. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe? There's no difference between people. This is where the famous verse is: Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For there is no difference. For there is no difference. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we're justified freely by grace through the rede- This sacrifice of, of Jesus in the blood of Christ and that he was a propitiation, that he was a sacrifice for sins and, and, and that this sacrifice happened. And so when you look at, and we've answered this question before, the, the Old Testament saints were saved in the same way that you and I are saved, right? They looked forward to the cross believing upon what they had in that moment from the word of God that if you really dig down deep is, was, a, was a picture in some way, shape or form, of, of Christ coming. And now we're on the other side of the cross. We're on the other side of, of Christ's sacrifice and him shedding his blood uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And so we have this righteousness that has come to us. And... And it's, it's an incredible, incredible thing. And he's done all this in the way that he's done it. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So um, that's the picture. That's the, that's the picture of mankind without God. I mean, people. People today, you know, feeling like, you know, they're okay. You know, people throwing around. This is um, one of the things that we have going on in our in our culture right now. And I'll I'll close with this. Is is a battle for the definition of morality. <laughs> That's if you want to know where we are, that's where we are. We're we're there's a battle for the definition of what is moral. And we're living kind of in kind of upside down world where what is what is moral is be is being called immoral and what is needed. You look no further than what the state Of New York, just did, which is, which is is a grievous should grieve our hearts really, (laughs) you know, and it did mine, did mine. Um, but this is this is the heart, a man without God, without Christ. Um, and and you can, man. Just like the arguments that Paul put forward that man might make, well, no, that's immoral. That's, a, that's moral. That's a, no, no, no. Every mouth will be stopped and there will be no justified. No flesh will glory in the presence of, of, of God. Only those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's why coming to him, calling upon his name, receiving his grace, walking with Him, that's what it means to be a person of God, to have a heart that's softened before Him. And whatever it is, if you were a person that was brought up in, 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 um, in the world and doing whatever, or if you were brought up going to church, falling asleep under the pew, right, playing games, playing tic-tac-toe, you know, with writing on the back of the hymn books. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> Makes no difference. Makes no difference. There's one way to salvation. There's one righteousness, and that's the righteousness of God and defined by God in who He is and His character. And that's what we need. Amen? And thank God. Thank God that He gives us grace. Thank God that He gives us grace and that that grace is available to every single bad times is that the gospel is still available to every single person.